going to continue this series called Jesus 101. Why? Because it's hard to stop talking about Jesus, okay? So we're going to just keep going. And uh, this, this uh, series, Jesus 101, we've covered a lot of territory. But I've got a very important question to ask you guys. Very important question to ask you guys. How many of you guys remember the A-team? Does anybody remember the A-team? Yeah. How many of you guys remember the A-team? And I, I remember watching, for those of you guys who don't know, all of you guys who are from the 80s, you are going to now take your kids and go home and watch the A-team because, uh, man, we watched it all the time. We even had a van with the sliding door as a kid, so we played like we were the A-team all the time. And in fact, so my, I've got four brothers, so my oldest brother, my older brother, Jeremy, he was always B.A., and uh, then my brother Ben, who's, uh, I'm kind of in between them, so my brother Ben was always face man. My brother Jake was always howling mad Murdoch. And then uh, I have a, a fifth brother, my brother Josh, so it depended on the season, whether he was Ricky or Amy. And it just depended on which season we were in. And so I was always Hannibal. And if you guys remember Hannibal, those of you guys who remember this, what was Hannibal's most famous line that he said all the time? Can somebody just tell me? You guys got it. I love it when a plan comes together, and he would most likely do that with a cigar in his mouth after everything just happened the way. And what I loved about the A-team is that cars flipped over, fire, you know, shots, you know, fired all the time, and yet nobody died. Like, there's not one scene that I remember anybody dying in that whole series. It was crazy. And I just loved the A-team because of that one line, I love it when a plan comes together. So what I want to talk about today is you realize that God has a plan that God has a plan for humanity, even from the very beginning of time before creation happened, God had a plan for humanity. And so I, I wanna just walk through this, that, that number one, in the beginning, God had a plan. And this was a plan that he started from the beginning of creation. Ephesians chapter one, verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him, now watch this, he chose us in him, what? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in the beginning, God had a plan and his plan was to be a father with a family. And even before he created anything, he already had a plan to be in relationship with you and me. I want you to think about that for just a second. Before God created anything, he already had a plan to be in relationship with you and with me. And genuine love was a part of that plan. Genuine freedom was a part of that plan. And how many of you guys know whenever you have genuine love as a possibility, you have other things as a possibility, right? Whenever you have freedom as a possibility, things may not go uh, all the time how you want them to go. And how many of you guys know with all the junk that goes on in the world, do you ever wonder if God is such a great planner, if he had such a great plan, right? You're looking around at the plan, at the world, and you're like, maybe God didn't have such a great plan because if God is good, like we just sang about, then why is all this bad in the world? If God is a good, loving God, then why is sin in the world? Why is sickness in the world? Why is trouble in the world? Why is tragedy in the world? And so people tend to come to different conclusions. The first conclusion people tend to come to is, number one, that, that God is bad. I mean, because how could all this, if God is, has this plan and he's in charge of it all and all this bad stuff is happening, then God must want all this to happen and God's a bad God. And that's what people end up, they reject God. They say, no, there's no way. If all this bad is happening, then God must be bad. 
The second conclusion people come, come to is, well, okay, God wants this to happen because God had a plan, and God is good, and I know that God is good, and so somehow all of the tragedy in my life must be good. So when I come across sickness, that somehow it must be good because God's trying to teach me a lesson. When I have a tragedy, somehow it must be good because, you know, God needed that person more than he needed them here. And so we come up with all these things to try to wrap our minds around this idea of God is good and God planned everything, so this must be God's plan. But that leaves off a third possibility. And the third possibility is that, yes, in the beginning God had a plan, but number two, you got to understand this, that God's plan allowed for the possibility that things wouldn't go as planned. So in God's plan, he knew because of genuine love and genuine freedom that things might not go according to the perfect plan because we had possibilities in there. So what I'm saying is this, that everything that happened and everything that happens is not what God wants to happen. Just because it happens doesn't mean God wants it to happen. Could God have stepped in and stopped sin in the garden? Yeah, he could have. But then he would have created robots that just do automatically what he wants instead of people who genuinely love him out of their own decision, out of their own choice, out of their own love, out of their heart. Could he have stopped sickness? Yeah, he could have done all this stuff. But just because God... Just because God wants something to happen doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen because he created a world where there are possibilities. And God is so secure in himself that he chose not to get what he wants all the time for the sake of genuine love and freedom to, to happen and to exist. So God chose to let us choose. Isn't that amazing? That's part of the plan, and even when he has a plan, he allowed for the possibility that things wouldn't go as planned. So things have not gone according to God's preferred desire, because God's preferred desire is that all would come to know him, and yet how many of you guys know that all haven't, because we have this possibility of choice? And so number three, we have to understand this, that even though God had a plan, and that God allowed for things to not go as planned, that God had a plan for things not going as planned. In Ephesians chapter one, verse five, it says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, there's a lot of th theological debate that could happen around this scripture, and I don't wanna dive deep into that and into that issue, but what I do wanna do is point out a few things that God knew before creation Okay, I want you to get this, that God knew before creation that he would have to have a plan to redeem creation after it went off the rails. So I want you to catch this, that before God created anything, he knew that he would have to bring Jesus into the plan. He knew before he created anything that Jesus was going to be on the cross. He knew before he created anything that people would need to be rescued, that people, there would need to be a plan of rescue. And so before God created anything, he set into his plan that Jesus was going to die on the cross before anything was created, and yet he still created everything. Before he created anything, he knew that you and I would need to be rescued, and he still created everything. Before he created anything, he had a plan for things not going as planned. And in the very beginning, he, even before he created anything, the church was in God's plan. 
Before he created anything, here's what I want you to catch today, is that you and I being a part of that rescue plan was a part of the plan. So that we come to the most famous, one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, which is called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Here's what I want you to understand before we read this. Before God created anything, he knew these words were going to be spoken. Before God created anything, he knew that he was going to enlist us in this plan. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority is in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So before any breath was breathed onto this creation, the plan was already laid out that you and I would be told to go. That you and I would be enlisted into this rescue plan to go and to preach the good news. That's a part of the plan before anything was planned. Now the question is, do we feel prepared to go? <laughs> Have you ever felt unprepared? I mean, if if this is part of God's big plan from the foundations of the earth, and he says, now go. Have you ever felt unprepared? Well, here's what I want you to understand, that God had a plan for you being unprepared <laughs> and being unplanned. And so even though you feel like I'm unprepared, this is the pattern that we see all throughout the Bible. You know, if you look all throughout the Bible, what you see is God telling people to go who didn't feel prepared. All throughout the Bible. And so, I want to just hit a couple of these and just to give you a few examples, so take a look at this. Everyone knows the triumphal story of Moses, the man who led the Jewish people out of captivity in Egypt. But before the triumph, Moses was an outcast, a murderer in exile. But interestingly enough, he was really happy to be there. He had a wife, a family, and he was very content to tend the flocks of his father-in-law. But God had another plan for Moses. Moses was to be an instrument of redemption for God's chosen people in Egypt. Moses didn't want to have anything to do with that. He pleaded with the Lord, just send someone else. I don't know what to say. I'm not very good at speaking, and I certainly don't want to go back to Egypt. But the Lord said, now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. a man of Jewish descent who had heard stories of old of how his ancestors had been freed from the bonds of slavery, only to now be enslaved at the hands of the Midians. God spoke to him and said to save Israel and release them from the clutches of Midian's hands. But Gideon questioned, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. But the Lord replied, I will be with you, for I am sending you. Now go. Well, what about David, the giant slayer? Nothing more than a lowly sheep herder, the youngest brother of eight. Small in frame, yet his heart and love for God could outcast the shadow of any giant. When others turned and ran at the sight of Goliath's large frame taunting them from the hilltop, David was willing to battle against anyone who would defy the armies of the living God. Faced with his passion and faith and no other options, 
King Saul said, may the Lord be with you. Now go. Less known is the story of Ananias, a man called by the Lord through a vision with a simple request. Go and meet with a man notorious for persecuting and mercilessly killing his fellow Christ followers. Shaken to the core at the thought of what this man saw would do when he arrived, Ananias was reluctant to respond. But God's response was clear. Now go. Not one of these men was extraordinary. To the contrary, they were just like you. And me. They feared the unknown. They had weaknesses that, for many, would disqualify them from ever doing something so... Life-altering. But that didn't stop God. For with God... All things are possible. Through God, Moses freed an enslaved nation and led them to the Promised Land. Gideon conquered an innumerable army with only 300 men using just trumpets and torches. David became the king of the nation of Israel. And Ananias restored the sight of a man who would later become a martyr for the very faith that he tried to destroy. For Moses had it right in saying to God, if you don't go with us, I won't go. But God promised Moses and still promises today, my presence will go with you. Now go. Now go. Now go. Now go. And that call has been going out ever since. But I want you to understand that now go was going to happen before creation ever started. That that was going to be a part of the plan. And so if you are going to go, if you are going to follow after this great commission, you might have to stay. What do I mean by that? Am I confusing anybody today? Because I'm doing it on purpose just to mess with it, just to see if you're paying attention. If you're going to go, you might have to stay. So I'm going to give you three things you might have to stay if you're going to go. And the first thing that you might have to stay is this. Number one, we have to stay focused on the lost. Now, what does this mean, the lost? Well, the lost are people described, that Jesus described as lost are people that don't know him. And as believers, we have to stay focused upon the lost. And you know, the, the, the last thing that is said generally is the first thing that's asked about. Like if you parents, like you leave the house and you tell your kids, like, okay, don't do this or do this. How I many of you guys know when you come back, that's the, usually the first thing that you ask about, right? Did you do this? Did you not do that? Well, this is the, the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends. Don't you think it might be one of the first things he asks about when he returns? Like, what did you do with your now go? What did you do with that? You know, I want to remind you guys of our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement as a church is to reach the lost and equip the found. Reach the lost, equip the found. If I'm really honest about us, and maybe if you're honest about you as an individual, there's a lot of stuff that we have for the found, isn't there? There's a lot of stuff. I mean, we could go down a whole big list about all the stuff we're doing for the found. We're doing for those who are in Christ already. That we're doing, I mean, we could list off all of these things. And even in our own life, if we look at our own life, sometimes we can look at our life and it's filled with a lot of found things. It's filled with a lot of found people. But we need to be honest with ourselves sometimes. How much of my life, how much of our church is about reaching the lost, the first part of that? How, have we lost our focus? Have we lost our focus? And, and I, there's a message that John Maxwell preached to a bunch of pastors, a room full of pastors a couple years ago, and I listened to this message, and it really just 
I mean, it just lodged within me, lodged in my spirit. And it, it was this, this call. And he says this. He says, what are we going to do about the 53%? And he kept saying that over and over again. What are we going to do about the 53%? The 53% are 53% of the people who are never going to come to church who aren't even really thinking about God right now. They're just living their life, just mowing their yard, barbecuing, just going through life, just going through their day. But they're not going, they don't have a plan to come to church and to be a part of the activities of the found. So what are we going to do about the 53%? And the truth is the 53% have no hope so long as those of us who are found are content with what's happening on the inside of these walls and the inside of our lives. The 53% have no hope unless someone decides to go. Because how many of you guys know that the, the church is not supposed to be an oasis from the world? The church is supposed to be an oasis for the world. So that when people come in contact with believers, when people come in contact with the church within these walls and the church that walks outside these walls, it's an oasis for the world. But too many of us have a bunker mindset where we want to try to gather up me, mine, and ours and all of our stuff and the world is so bad, let's pull back and let's get our own little thing going on to protect us from the world that we forget that we're not supposed to be from, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world, but we're still supposed to be in it. We're still supposed to go in it. And this may shock you right now, but currently on the planet, there are 7,441 unreached, distinct people groups right now on the planet. These are people that don't have access to Bibles. They don't have, you know, podcasts going on that are preaching the good news. They don't have a Christian nearby. that They, they don't have churches. Like, I know, that's kind of shocking, isn't it? Because you think as, a, as far as we've come, and it represents almost 42% of the planet. Did you hear what I said? 42%, 7,441 unreached, distinct people groups right now. Those people groups are defined as having their own culture, their own entity within themselves. That's, that's mind-boggling. And yet, our call from the foundation of the earth is to go. And so we have to stay focused on the lost. As one person said, that we need to have eternity stamped on our eyes. So that when we close our eyes, we, we see eternity. When we open our eyes and we look at people, we see them through the eyes of eternity. That we have to stay focused on the lost. And Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. He gives this story that you've probably heard before. It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? And so in those days, that would have been, you know, a fairly common thing because they would see you know, shepherds and sheep, you know, and different farms and stuff. And we kind of see that, you know, a little bit more with cattle and different things like that. But he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lost one of them, does not leave the 99 and go into the open country and go after that, is that one that's lost until he finds it. He says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and all his neighbors saying to them, rejoice for me with me for I have found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, how many of you guys are found in this place right now? Like you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me just see your hand, auditorium too. Just, we're found. Most of us have been found. What Jesus is saying here is that I'd leave you all in a second to go find someone that was lost. That seems kind of shocking, right? But that's what he's saying. 
He's saying, all of you found people, if I, if I saw one that was lost, I'm gonna leave the 99 and I'm gonna go to the one. And that seems really harsh and it seems like Jesus doesn't care about us in this scripture, but that's not what's going on. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the 99. It's simply that Jesus is telling the 99 what to care about. Let me say that again. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the 99. He cares about the found. He's simply illustrating to us what the found ought to care about. That we have to stay focused upon the lost. And so many times our eyesight, our focus starts to get blurry and we start to get deceived into thinking different things. We start to get focus on different things and our eyesight needs to awaken sometimes, right? Our eyesight needs to come alive a little bit. How many of you guys remember, speaking of like the 80s, how many of you guys remember Atari when Atari came out and that Pong, how many of you guys remember Pong? You know, doop, 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 right? And I, I remember seeing that as a kid thinking, how are they doing this? Like, this is unbelievable. I can't get any better than this. I mean, how, I mean, controlling this thing on the screen, how is it? And then Duck Hunt came out and my mind was blown. I mean, I didn't know what to do with that, you know? Mario 2, remember two-dimensional Mario? You know, and he would go, and I'm thinking, how can they get any, it looks so real. How do you guys remember having thoughts like that? Like, how can they get any better than this, you know? And it's because our eyesight gets accustomed to certain things. And sometimes our eyesight is accustomed to seeing found things instead of looking for lost things. So we have to stay focused on the lost. Number two, if you're going to go, you have to stay rooted in love. You cannot go in any other thing but love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 and 3 says this, And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Saying, if you become a martyr for Jesus but you did it without love, it didn't mean a lot. If you have all this faith, if you're doing all these things, if you're, you know, have all these gifts and all this stuff going on in your life and you're being, going through all this stuff, but if you don't love, it didn't mean a whole lot. Back to that message from John Maxwell, he had everybody say this, and I'm going to have you guys say this with me, and I've done this before, but I think it's important for us to go through this exercise every now and again. And he had everybody repeat this, and I'm going to have you do this. So repeat this after me. Say, for God so loved the world. All right. So now say this. Say, God loves me. Doesn't that feel good? Let's say that part again. God loves me. All right, how about, how about we say it this way? Say, God loves people I don't know. All right, let's say this. God loves people I don't like. And that's the problem. There's a lot of people that we as Christians just don't like. And especially in today's day and age, there's a lot of people that we just don't seem to like. Let me just help you. Let me illustrate this for you. Politics. I'm just trying to give you a trigger word. Okay, I'm just trying to trigger something. Whatever that is for you. So when it comes to the world, 
How do you know when you've crossed a line and you're not acting like Jesus when it comes to politics? You know, how you've cro- you know when you've crossed the line when it no longer looks like the fruit of the Spirit. When your engagement with the world, with people you don't like, no longer looks like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all of those things. When it no longer looks like the fruit of the Spirit, it's of another spirit. So we have to be careful that we stay rooted in love. And love is a, love is a choice, right? I mean, we have to choose to love. So I'm going to take it a little bit further and kind of play off Maxwell's thing. And I don't think I'm doing any damage to the scripture to say this, but we need a supernatural love to be able to reach people. But I think we also need a supernatural like. Because love is a choice we seem to have to make. And there's been people in my life that I've been, my arm felt like it was twisted to love them. But you know what a like is? When you like someone, it's not a choice that you make. It's a reaction you have. So I started praying years ago, not just for a supernatural love for people, but I prayed, I said, God, I need a supernatural like for people. So that when I see them, that my reaction is just to like them. Because I know that Jesus would leave all of this to go find them. That's, that's challenging at times, I realize. You don't have to be like them to reach them, but I believe you do have to like them to reach them. Because God is love, and so if we want to give God, we can only give God in the package he comes in. Let, let me say that again. God is love. We can only give God in the package he comes in. He comes in the package of love. That's who God is. So we need a supernatural love, and we need a supernatural like. And if you're angry, it's hard to love. If you're angry at people, it's hard to love. So how do we do that? How do we begin to do this? Well, years ago, before we started this church, I started a construction business and I was framing and there was a certain contractor that, that would come around all the time. And man, he was just as lost as lost could be. Just, I mean, probably a good guy. Didn't really seem like it, but probably a good guy. And, but just as lost as lost could be. And I remember thinking one day, as I was working that day, I thought, how does that guy come to Jesus? Have you ever had a thought about somebody like that in your life? You're like, I don't know. I know the gospel's big, but I can't. How does that guy come to Jesus? Like, I can't even fathom this. And so God began to have me do this little exercise. He said, every time you see this person, I want you just to, through your faith imagination, just begin to imagine that person in church worshiping. And so I would. I'd start to imagine this, which was totally different than the experience that was on the, in the natural. Start to imagine this person in church worshiping. Start to imagine this person in a small group Bible study. Start to imagine this, pers- this person in their prayer closet praying privately to God. Just imagine them. So I begin to imagine this person in their prayer closet praying to God. Start to imagine this person going out and sharing their faith with someone else. So I began to imagine this person. What was I doing? I was beginning to see them prophetically, not naturally. So instead of seeing all that they aren't, I saw all that they could become. Instead of seeing all that they weren't in the natural, I began to see who God sees them as in the spirit. And you know what that did? It caused a reaction so that every time I saw them, I didn't see the world on them. I saw Jesus on them. 
And you know what that did? That gave me hope that not only could Jesus be on them, but Jesus could be in them. That's seeing through the eyes of love and through the eyes of faith. Now, if you are going to go, a lot of times when we talk about go into all the world, many times we think, well, I've got to go. Where, where am I supposed to go? Where does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, for some of us, it's going to mean different things. But for many of us, it may be more surprising than what you think when we hear the, good, the Great Commission to go into all the world. What does that mean for you? All right, this might help us just a little bit. Let's watch. missionary it means to be sent by God to carry the good news that's all it means to be a missionary it means to be sent by God to carry the good news and for many of us some of you may be called to go somewhere else but for many of us we are called right where we are we are called for many of you we're called right where we are so if you want to go for some of this what it means is we have to stay in our lane we have to stay in the place that God has placed right in front of us. We have to stay with the purpose God has put right in front of us. We just need to be reactivated into it. God has put a mission field right in front of us. We just have not been awakened to it because we've got distracted by other things. And maybe we, have you ever seen somebody else do something and you thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to do that or I, I, I want to do this or I want to do that. I, I've done that all the time. There's a story in the Bible, a parable that Jesus told about a guy who went out to go hire somebody early in the morning. And he said, if you'll come and work, I'll give you a denarius all day long. And so they're like, okay, that's great. And so they went to go work in the field. Uh, a few hours later, at the third hour, he, he came to some other people. And he said, hey, if you come work in the field, there's still time left. I'll pay you what is right. Come on and work. And so people came a little bit later. He went in the sixth hour and did the same. He went in the ninth hour, went in the eleventh hour and hired people to come and work. And so everybody's coming to pay time. And the people who started working off first, you know, that started out first, they thought, oh, man, all these people got hired later. Maybe we're going to get some more because, you know, we agreed to this, but now he's hiring them for this. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 9 through 14, it says, and those, when those who hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who he hired first, they thought, man, I'm going to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, 
These last only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us. Who gave? I mean, we bore the burden of the heat of the day. We worked all day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, he said, friend, I'm doing you no, no wrong. Did you not agree for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I gave you. What is he saying? He's saying, you're looking at this person instead of looking at what I've called you to do. You're looking this direction instead of what I called you to do. Stay focused in your lane. Don't, go, don't look to the right or to the left. Stay focused on the calling on what I've called you to do, whatever that is. Now, you may have to find that lane, whatever that is, but when you find it, don't, don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Stay focused on the call because how many of you guys have ever been offended or frustrated with things in other people's lives that wasn't even your responsibility? Have you ever done that before, right? It's like, you're frustrated. You're all worked up. You're offended of something that is not your responsibility. It's not your problem. And you've spent all this emotional energy. You've been distracted. You've spent all this wasted time. The same thing can happen in our calling with God. We get all caught up in somebody else's calling, and we think, well, man, and we miss the calling that God has in front of us. Wayne Cordero says it this way. He, he, he says something very like challenging to me that I keep going back to all the time. He says this. He says, we won't be held accountable for how much we've done, but for how much we've done of what he asked us to do. See, sometimes we just think activity is is productivity or it's fruit. It's, it's not necessarily. At the end of it all, we're not going to be accountable for how much activity we did. In fact, there's so many people in, in those scriptures that say, you did all these things in my name. He's like, I didn't even know you. you. You didn't stay focused. You didn't stay on the call. You didn't stay in relationship. But we'll be held accountable for those things that he has asked us to do. So the question is, what has he asked you to do? What is your lane? Don't look at somebody else's lane. And try to compare to that. Because generally what happens is you end up becoming paralyzed or you become jealous or you become frustrated instead of staying with the call that God has placed right in front of you. So Mark chapter 16 verse 15 is the great commission in the book of Mark. And it says it this way, very simply. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world. The question is, what part of the world are you called to go in? Because all of us can't go into all the world. You realize this, right? All of us can't go into all the world. So it must mean that God has called us to a part of the world. So what part of the world are you called to go in? Before we started this church, we knew God was stirring in us. And Becca and I prayed and for six months, we prayed and we sought, we fasted, we did all this stuff, talked to friends, trying to figure out what God was doing in us. And we got to the point where we said, God, we will go, we will do anything you want us to do, which is a great place to be, right? Like, God, I'll do anything, which was a big deal. Because we had been in some places and some church hurt and different things like that where we kind of guarded our heart for a while and God had to do a big work in us. And so we got to this point where I said, God, I will do anything you want me to do. And then I also said, God, I will go anywhere you want me to go on the planet. You name it, I'll go. And I meant it, and we were finally at that point where we had a complete open hand, no strings attached. We will do anything. We will go anywhere. And you guys know what God called us to do. He said, I want you to move 40 minutes away from where you're at right now. <laughs> and he sent us here. We didn't know anybody here, but he sent us. I was willing to go anywhere. But God said, here's the part of the world I want you to go to. And so you know what? I am 
a missionary to Liberty, Missouri. God sent me here to be a missionary. And you know what? I'm suspecting that he sent you, many of you, here to do just the same thing. Or whatever community you live in. That your go means to stay. That your go means to look at the mission field. The harvest is ripe right in front of you. But that's a big shift for a lot of us. Because we always think of the mission field as somewhere far away from us. But the mission field is wherever Jesus sends you to. I was listening to my friend, Pastor Lee Cummings. He was preaching a message not too long ago, and he had all these statistical reasons. That's why I'm just going to summarize it this way. But he said that the largest mission field per culture, per capita in the world right now, number one, is the Middle East. He said, number two, uh, let me just make sure I get it right. (laughs) He said, number two was Asia. Number three, it was India. There's almost a billion people in India. But he said the fourth largest mission field, you know what it is? It's North America. You are currently living on the fourth, in the fourth largest mission field on the planet. And like I said, with all these things that are going on in the world, I mean, we used to send, we still do, but we send missionaries to South America. Do you realize that South America is more Christianized than America is right now? Because the shifts of people who call themselves church-going Americans now has gone below, what, 50% or whatever the stats are. I mean, the trends are going away. And if you look at the world, you see right now that, that, I mean, the United States, have you ever noticed that it's becoming less Christian than what it used to be, you know, just by watching the news, right? So why doesn't God send some elite missionaries into this mission field? I mean, wouldn't it make sense that God would send some missionaries into this place that seems to be declining, people who are are falling away, and it seems like other countries, I mean, in South America, they are outpacing us by far. Some of them are 60-something percent Christianized, 70, some of them 80 or 90 percent Christian. And the United States is falling away. Why doesn't God send some missionaries here? How many of you guys are just light bulbs are going off right now? Oh, wait a minute. God has hundreds of thousands of missionaries in the fourth largest mission field on the planet strategically placed currently right now in businesses, in schools, in workplaces, in homes, in family units all over this nation strategically placed hundreds of thousands of missionaries already in place. We're staged, we're ready, but are we willing? He has us staged at the ready on the fourth largest mission field on the planet, but are we willing? One last story. I'm going to have the worship team come back up, but uh, there was a a guy named Johnny Varekin, and Johnny Varekin is actually the president of the Link family of churches, which is the, the group of churches that we are a part of in our Link Family Association. So we have several sister churches in the Link family. And he's the president. Now, he was from Michigan, but God called him to Latin America. And so years and years ago, he, did, he went to Latin America to go and plant churches and to do all this stuff. And speaking of John Maxwell, he is John Maxwell's translator in all of Latin America. So when John Maxwell goes to Latin America, that's, that's what he, go, he goes with Johnny. And Johnny, so he's given his life to Latin America, but he's from Michigan. And 
a couple weeks ago, he was at the Link Equip event, which is our Family of Churches event, and he was telling us about three dreams that he has. And one of his dreams was this. I found it so curious. One of his dreams was that, he put it this way, that my bones will be buried in Latin America. He's from Michigan. But he wants his dream is that they, at the end of his life, his bones will be buried in Latin America. He said, because that is the people that God called me to. That's the place. I'm from Michigan, but the place that God called me, I want my bones to be buried in the place where God called me. So my question is, where do you want your bones to be buried? As far as I know, my bones are going to be buried right here. Not in this building. That'd be kind of weird, but... My bones are to be buried right here in this community because this is the mission field God called me to. And I want at the end of it all to know that my bones are buried in the calling that God has for my life. And for many of you, not all, but for many of you, God has strategically placed you right here to borrow an overused phrase, but it's such a true phrase for such a time as this. But we just have to be awakened to the call that God has strategically staged hundreds of thousands. And I can tell you, as far as even just Journey Church, he strategically staged hundreds of Journey Church members as missionaries in this community. Just our church could take over this community if we were activated. Jesus did it with 12. Just our church, we've got hundreds in this one community. Imagine if we all were activated to God's call to go to the mission field right in front of us, what would happen? So where do you want your bones to be buried? Maybe it's not even a location. Maybe it's a calling to a certain group of people. Maybe it's single mothers or maybe it's whatever it is. Whatever it is. But you know, I want my bones to be buried in that call. Now go. And so I want to just wrap this up by addressing some people that maybe, you know, if God has a plan, maybe you find yourself right now with things not going as planned. If God has a call in your life, maybe you find yourself in a place where it doesn't seem like the call is happening the way you think it should. Well, I can tell you that God has a plan for things not going as planned. And that's good news, that no matter where you're at right now, you can turn, turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, what now? No matter where you're at, no matter where you've been on this, maybe you've been running away from the call. Maybe you've been running away from the go. Maybe you've been running away. Maybe you've been distracted on one side or the other. But God has a plan for things not going as planned. And it simply means looking your eyes back to Jesus and back to his plan. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to give God an opportunity to do that because I believe in moments like this, how does it happen? It happens in moments like this. When the word of God has been preached, then we have a decision to make. Are we going to allow the word of God to come into our heart to change us, to challenge us, to grow us? This is that moment when the plan gets reactivated, but we have to allow it. And so we have to stay focused on the loss. We have to stay in, our, in love and we have to stay in our lane. And so let me help you guys for just a moment because some of us, we're praying for the loss. And I, here's my challenge for you. 
If you don't have someone right now that you're praying for that's lost, get somebody. So number one, if you don't have anybody that you're praying for, because if you've been so found that you don't have anybody that you're praying for that's lost, get somebody. But then number two, here's the second challenge. I believe many of us do have people that we're praying for that are lost. But many of those people, we're praying for them because we love them and we like them. Many of them are family members. Many of them are really close friends that we wanna see come to Jesus. And so there are many of us right now that are praying for people that are lost. So we got that first box box checked. But here's my challenge. Ask Jesus to give you a brand new name. Maybe even somebody you don't really like. But you ask God for a supernatural like. Maybe it's a people, a certain group of people, whatever that is for you. Somebody on the other side, whatever that is. Give us a supernatural love and a supernatural like. Would you stand up with me as we get ready to worship? But we also wanna give God just a little bit of space right now. I felt like last night, and I felt prompted right here in this moment again, that some of us have not shed tears that need to be shed because of hard hearts towards people. We've lost our love for the lost. We've had a hard heart towards other people. We've had a hard heart towards groups of people. We've had a hard heart because of what we see in the news. We've had a hard heart because of what we've experienced in the past. And we haven't shed tears because of a hard heart. And this is gonna sound really weird to say this, but I, I feel like I should say this, that right now I just release those tears once again that God, you would soften our heart towards other people. That when we think about other people, that we would see them through your eyes. Release those tears again towards other people. That we would have a heart for the lost. That we would see people the way you see them, God. God, I pray for a deep work to happen in us that we couldn't undo your love for us. That we couldn't undo the love that you've placed in us for other people. God, help us to have a soft heart towards this world. Help us when we get up tomorrow morning and we drive through the city or wherever we're at that we wouldn't just be thinking about our day, but we would think about all of the houses that we pass, of people whose eternal destinies are at stake. People who don't know you, God. 
Help us to have your heart once again towards other people so that they can see your goodness, so that they can see your love like we have. Help us to be those people who understand that it's not that you don't care about the 99, you're just telling us what to care about. So Lord, help us to do that today in Jesus' name.